Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Jay. And this is Paul. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of figuring out that the world is not what you expected and you can't convince anybody of that truth. <laughs> this week, we're talking about insanity. Playing insane characters. This is part of our ongoing series on playing difficult characters, which we hope that you'll go back and and review some of our previous episodes on that. In this one, we're suggesting that it might be fun to play a character who is completely insane. And by that, I mean substantially insane. Now, insanity comes in a lot of ways, and most of them are not fun to play in a role-playing game. So we're really speaking about some fairly limited areas. Peter has got a lot of research on insanity, so he's going to tell us about the ones, just in general, the ones that are fun to play. Hey, Peter, why did you do so much research on insanity? Well, I I actually kind of lived it. Uh, I'll just let you guys in on this a little bit. And and I want to make a disclaimer because uh, I've worked a lot with people with mental illness, and it is not a pretty condition, and a lot of people suffer with it. you know, we're not making light of this. We're not making fun of it in any way. It can be a very serious thing. It can be very harmful to people's lives. So we're just trying to turn this into a role-playing thing and not make light of it, you know, in any way. As a youth, as, as growing up, uh, my family had, had started a um, an assisted living for people who were mentally ill but weren't mentally ill enough to be in an institution. So they were trying to de-institutionalize these people, getting getting them into – a neighborhood's household family life. So I've been around people with mental illness quite a long time. So I've had a very inside perspective of what it's like to be around them day in and day out, to, to actually live amongst them. Well, I have some personal experience myself. I won't go into any greater detail. But what I like to do in a game is I like to kind of draw a difference between actual mental illness, which are symptoms we see in the real world, and cinematic mental illness, which are things that people make up in movies and TV and in, and in fiction as a kind of insanity that's more of a joke, more humorous, less serious. More interesting to see. Exactly, because real, actual, no-kidding depression is no fun for anybody. And I was, I was going to go there with that. I was going to say that, that the insanity that, that we're going to be talking about, the, the mental illness that we're going to be talking about, is stuff that could be put into a campaign that, that you could play as a character because in, in reality, most people who are mental institutions could not be characters. You could not, you could not play them as a character. They, just, they would not function at all. We're talking Harvey versus the taxi driver. Gotcha. Yes, exactly. This isn't the first time that TriTech Games has gone into the realm of insanity. Has it ever left? John, tell us about the micro game TriTech put out. Well, actually, it was Techie Tech to put it out. This is what this is before TriTech got its name. Uh, it was you know version 1.0, and it was called Escape from Westerville State. Uh, it's basically you're playing various people who well were insane, and you're trying to get out of the hospital, escape from the hospital. It was sort of a cross between a, a role playing game and a board game. What is what it used the uh, I would call the the Techie Tech role playing system, which was fairly s- simple, to, you know, simple and straightforward. But it did have a whole list of various, well, mental afflictions your character can have and what they would do with those afflictions. There was one uh, outside product that I saw, a Red Dwarf the role-playing game. And they had a random table of space madness that had me snickering for hours in the game store. I wish I'd had the money to pick that book up. It was a monster. All right, so talking about forms of insanity that are fun to play. Of course, we're not going to talk about things like Catatonia, 
because somebody's sitting in the corner. Everybody, everyone play a catatonia person. Okay, well, all right. So, <laughs> you know, there, there you are. Your game session, you know, you, you basically count down the minutes to the end of the game session. Yeah. Is, is, is it catalytic? The person who basically every so often just freezes. Right. Yeah, that's a catatonic. Yeah. A catalytic is a right. whole different kind of crazy. They tend to set other people off. So... I've broken insanities down to a couple of categories. I'm going to start off with the first one, which I call delusions, which is where somebody believes something or sees something or in some way is living in a kind of a perceived altered reality. And that is part of their insanity, that they are locked into it and everything is reacted to through the lens of this delusion that they may have. First type is altered memory, which is where you remember the past in a certain way, either overly negative or overly positive. There's an important fact remembered incorrectly, and this can, you cannot be convinced that this is in any way wrong, this important fact. For example, someone who thinks that they are Napoleon Bonaparte. They are convinced of this. They remember the life of Napoleon Bonaparte as their own, or the people, the way they perceived people in It's a Wonderful Life. The main character shows up. He never existed, so he goes around and he starts telling people, well, yeah, you're my, my cousin, or you're my wife, and all this stuff. And, and they're all looking at him going, no, we're not, and I can prove it to you. And he's like, no, 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 it's, it's true, I tell you, it's true. So it's altered memory. You know, and of course, in that case, of course, we had an angel. But in the case of where you have insanity, something has happened to change your memory so that you perceive yourself or your history or your relationships to other people differently because of what your memory is. Yeah, or was it King Norton of California? He declared himself the king of California. Emperor Norton. Emperor Norton, you're right. Well, there's kind of an argument about just how much of that was delusion and just how much of that was performance art. <laughs> he'd issue proclamation, he'd pay people in hand-drawn Nortons, and everybody just kind of went for it because it was funny, and it became actually a tourist attraction. So in, in his case, you know, was he really mad and thinking he was Emperor Norton, or was he just saying, you know, screw it that hard and just taking something silly to the wall? and watching how far the joke played out. It's hard to tell, really. Right. Well, you know, a delusion doesn't have to be as, as grandeur or as complex as that. I mean, it, it can be as simple as a person thinks that an agent of some kind is talking to them, say, through the TV or through the radio. And that actually, in my upbringing, several of the people had those kind of delusions. Uh, the, the one lady, this lady Flo... Uh, she actually thought, <laughs> she actually, this is not funny, but she actually thought that when she watched Wheel of Fortune, she thought that Pat Sajak was talking to her. And a delusion can be that simple. It doesn't have to be really big. It could be something as small as that. And it doesn't have to go any further than that. It, it, they could focus, sometimes they focus on one little thing. Like it could be just that TV show that they, they listen to. Now, of course, this could lead to some very dangerous things if it gets out of hand. But if you're talking about, like we're saying, this is cinematic, this is role playing. You could simply have the TV telling the character things. We're kind of focusing on Bureau 13, right? No, it, it can be anything. The GM could use this to plant adventure seeds and have them be actually accurate one out of three or one out of four times, enough to keep the players go ahead and going for it, even though they don't know exactly what the uh, delusional character is talking about. That's kind of where I was going with this. If we were playing Bureau 13, you know, a lot of times you'd have a character who could get divine messages or, or messages from the other side or, or however, you, however you want to look at that. So it could be hard to determine whether the person really is getting messages from somewhere or if they're just nuts. This would make for an interesting adventure. Those two are not mutually exclusive. In a Bureau 13 setting, they can be. I mean, you, you could be somebody actually really getting messages or somebody imagining they're getting messages. Or, I mean, you could really mess with a character, and half the time it is really getting messages, and the other half is delusions. Exactly. You could be totally crazy and still be receiving messages. <laughs> sure. Yes, they live in a delusional world. Their brain is still getting the information of the outside world, but it's being reinterpreted by their delusions. But they're like an idiot savant. Every so often, 
they'll pick out patterns in the in the news stories that's something real. They paste it together and then they turn out, oh, wait, well, he was right. How'd you know this? And it gives you this, and the person thing gives you this really off the wall thing about fish sticks and and the walrus people. But it makes sense when you when you we we work it out what they all mean. Luna Lovegood, River Tam. Yeah. Another form of delusion is where your brain basically gets its wiring mixed up, and your senses get swapped. So you hear color or you see taste and this can be really challenging for the gm yeah synesthesia amber by the way due to technical difficulties she is in the skype chat i will be her proxy again this evening yeah she and i both came to the same conclusion that would be known as synesthesia she's see she's seeing our words right now she's suffering from it right here wow yeah now, from what I understand, it doesn't mean they actually, you know, if a person sees sound, they still hear. They can still hear the sounds. It's just that the brain is also interpreting it as colors, or it's interpreting sound as colors as sound, or taste as feeling. A lot of this is going to be uh, really heavy on the GM's descriptive powers, because the GM is going to have to describe what the character is seeing slash feeling slash tasting slash hearing. <laughs> there's some easy go-tos in this area i I will try to back my voice down amber's telling me that i'm that my voice is way too orange (laughs) i'm sorry we'll try to we'll try to get just a gentle purple in there right but there's some easy go-tos with this okay for example a loud shirt can be actually loud you could be in a room and all of a sudden somebody walks into the room with a loud shirt and the character's like oh my goodness And reacting to it from a game mechanic standpoint, how do you think you would you would do that? Like, would you say that maybe um, you could hit them with a, uh, a perception penalty because they're getting a double dose of whatever it is? Not only is it bright, but it's loud. I would tend to go more towards giving them bonus points for good role playing if they acted in concert with what I was portraying. But only if they do that and don't overact it. Overacting. Those words don't go together like that at a gaming table. <laughs> you say you're a synesthetic and you have the uh, one where colors produce sound. So you're looking around, you're looking in the forest, and the, some of the sounds are off. That's when you realize, oh, there's guys wearing camouflage out there because the color isn't the same as the rest of the forest, so it makes a different sound. Amber actually did, uh, she just posted that she does smell colors, so I guess... Amber would be someone who has synesthesia then. As you know, my show on Dementia Radio, one of my fellow DJs, and he's also a performer known as Al Cab, he performs under the name Soggy Potato Chips, he also has synesthesia in that he sees color when he hears certain types of music. And when someone did a style parody of his music, he said, no, I hear that and I don't see purple when I hear that. And I realized that he had synesthesia. So... It's a pretty common thing, if come to think of it. I mean, it's just something that you don't normally say because, well, people think you're weird. But you could do some uh, some things as far as your reaction to things. So, for example, if somebody was talking to you in a very condescending or insulting fashion, you could uh, hear his voice or her voice as being sour, even to the point where it become hard for you to speak because your mouth would get all puckered up. <laughs> or if you see uh, sounds. Someone invisible walks into the room. You might see them because they're making sounds, and it shows up in your field of vision. For what I understand, for people who have that kind of uh, synesthesia, they do see the sounds more, the colors, and the more or less in the area where the sounds coming from. Let's not make the mistake of of making this an advantage or a superpower. Yeah, or a superpower because it in, in reality it really isn't. It, it really normally goes against you. Yeah, it's supposed to be there as a challenge for you as a role player. I would say once in a great while, you give the player the advantage. In other words, like you're saying with the camouflage, or maybe an invisible person, that'd be good. Because, you know, normally in, in normal day life, we don't deal with invisible people. So it's kind of hard to tell whether that would be something that would work that way. So you might have a little free reign with that. You might be able to say, oh, yeah, this might give you a little bit of an advantage in that. And that's cool. I, I'm cool with that. But for the most part, most of the time, it's going to work against you. It should normally be a flaw. The colors will obscure your vision as well. So, yes, yeah, so if there's a lot of people talking, 
you just see a riot of colors. Yeah, yeah, you're, you start seeing red, you can't, it's like... This podcast would tend to sound like a uh, like a kaleidoscope threw up to some people with that condition. Yeah, or a bad tie-dye shirt, yeah. yeah. Imagine you're in a gunfight, guns start going off, and you can't see what you're shooting at. Well, I wouldn't be able to anyway, because I'd be hiding under a car and whimpering. It'd be like you're getting smacked in the face with fruit flavors, because you're hearing the sound as taste. Right, right. Starburst gunshots? Where can I get those bullets? That's not a rainbow I want to be tasting anytime soon. Uh, no. <laughs> or you could be you're tasting a sharp pepper taste every time you hear a gunshot. And the louder the gunshot, the stronger the pepper taste. So that could really also be a disadvantage. Well, in reality, if you're firing a gun without hearing protection, you're kind of going there already. Because it, it, it's really loud. It really hurts. There is this guy I saw on one of these specials, and I can't remember which Discovery or whatever it was. And this, and it wasn't exactly synesthesia. It was, it was, I think it was a type of – I think it was a type of autism. But he actually saw numbers as colors. And – for him, it was an advantage, but he's one of the very, very, very few people with this condition that actually it works for him. Uh, most people, it messes him up. He could literally calculate just about anything you could throw at him, you know, 561 times 932 plus 26, and he would answer it within a few seconds. That would not be so much synesthesia, but, you know, that would be an advantage of somebody who was a hypercalculator, and they, they have those advantages in some game, simu- game systems. The reason why I'm saying this is it, it's similar to this is because he described numbers as colors. He saw numbers as colors and shapes. So it was it's kind of related. It's not exactly synesthesia, but it's kind of related, and it's something that that could fit into this a little bit if you wanted to use it as sort of an advantage. You could take it in that direction if you say, "Is my character? I'd like to buy this as an advantage," and that would be one way to work it in. Okay, an example of the synesthesia with Amber hearing voices and colors. I'll read what she said here. Jay's voice is the color of honey with a tint of lavender. Bruce is a navy blue. Trav is a bright magenta with splashes of green. John is a violet. Blix is a deep maroon. I almost misread that. Oh, yeah. And Paul is brown. <laughs> what a maroon. I'm such a maroon. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, see, that's how Amber is hearing our voices over the cast now. So that is an example of synesthesia hearing color I come across as brown <laughs> a rich brown you're a rich corinthian leather screw you i'm chocolate wait a minute that's like uh, uh barry white i mean come on <laughs> what's cooler than barry white <laughs> cool like the other side of the pillow oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> moving on to our our next form of delusion we have obstruction which is where something is blocked from your mind, your perceptions. It could be a person standing right in front of you, but you cannot hear them, see them, understand if they react with you. A person could be a car, could be any specific object or type of object, and you would be unable to perceive it and therefore unable to react properly to it. Douglas Adams, somebody else's problem field. Yeah, that's kind of how that works. It, it makes something so offensive that your brain just goes, I'm not seeing that. I'm not, dealing, I'm not dealing with that. This actually is a known problem. The invisible gorilla? No, no. The man who thought his wife was a hat. When he looked at his wife, he saw a hat. He did not see his wife. He saw a hat. That'd be funny if he tried to put her on when it was raining. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Hilarious. <clears throat> the one I was thinking of was the invisible gorilla. There were neurological studies that showed if you present people with a complicated moving picture and tell them to keep track of one element of that picture, that they will tend to edit out things that are not relevant to what they're tracking. And why this is called the invisible gorilla is because what they did was they took a bunch of college students and had them bouncing balls and had one of a different color and told them, keep track of, it. Keep track of that one. And then they had another college student in a gorilla suit come in and dance in front of the camera and move through the scene. And a lot of people never saw the gorilla because they were focused so hard on the, uh, on the different colored basketball. Right. There are ways to actually provoke this reaction and use it to do stage magic. And so, yeah, there's times when people's brains will just go, there's too much on my plate, and I'm not dealing with that one right now. 
They also found out about that with uh, sensory overload in Vietnam. I remember listening to, what is it, Wings, about the F-4 Phantom. and so many buzzers and alerts and twiddly knobs and dials that there were times when guys would be t- getting told, hey, there's a missile coming right up your butt, and they wouldn't hear it because they were focused on too many other things. One of my hobbies is reading nonfiction books, and one of the, the, the main books I like to read about are, are how the brain works. The general consensus seems to be that the brain is ex- exceptionally efficient, which makes it exceptionally as lazy as it can possibly be. It does not like to do any more work uh, than it has to. Well, yeah. Who doesn't act like that? Well, I'm just saying that the brain, the v- brain is very much like this. So when you're driving down the road, if you're driving – if you ever notice, when you drive a path that you're used to driving – and let's say it's an hour drive, you're not nearly as tired as when you drive down a road you've never been down before because your brain has to put that picture together the whole way through. But if you're down a path you've been down before, you'll drive down it. And if anybody asks you anything that happened during that way, you won't remember hardly any of it because your brain literally does not see those things. It shuts, it filters them out. It sees what it needs to see. It's kind of like when you're driving and you go, everybody does this, they go on autopilot. You know, it's like, well, uh, how many lights did you hit? I have no idea. You don't know because your brain doesn't need to remember that, so it doesn't. It literally knows its path and off it goes. I think the the biggest thing to remember about this is that eyeballs are not cameras. They don't operate anything like a camera at all. They're nothing like a camera. Your brain interprets images as they come in. It does not take pictures. So if anything gets faulty in there anywhere along the way – it can cause any problems with your vision. So what Bruce is talking about is very real. As a matter of fact, uh, people who are completely blind, let's say they lost their, they lived in their house and then they lost their vision, they can still navigate that house. They will navigate it almost as if they're seeing. The only thing they'll trip over is stuff that you've moved. And they won't know how they're doing it. It's because their brain regenerates that picture for them automatically. The brain is a very interesting tool. Hey, Peter, there's also a variation of that where the vision center is gone, but there's still a little bit of the other vision centers in the brain still operating. So while the person cannot consciously see, the unconscious part of the mind can still see because that part of the brain is still working. That's right. Yeah, you're right. Because it's two different systems. You're right, John. There's two different types of visual systems. There's the the actual physical wiring that brings the image in and then there's the part of your brain that interprets it okay well you're talking about this on a sort of a physical level where something could go wrong with your brain and could cause this condition but we're talking about insanity so trav here we are in bureau 13 and somebody has some magic spell they can do this to the team how can he mess with them well obviously he could make himself invisible to them i mean not physical like bending light But basically, it would be a mind control type spell, like suggestion, where it's just, you know, the whole John Cena thing. You don't see me. So their brains would not register that his presence was there in the room. Or that, let's say, they come to his base looking for a particular magical artifact. Well, he can make it where, okay, suggestion, you will not see it. Even if it is right there in front of you, you will not see it. Usually it's going to be some type of suggestion spell. I have a question about that. Okay, so you're walking into a building, but you don't want anybody to see you've been there. So you cast this kind of area of effect suggestion. I'm not really here. You walk by and all the people affected by the spell are going to say, they're just going to look past you. Their brain's going to go, not my problem. Would that affect uh, surveillance cameras? Would that affect recordings, would it affect people watching from from uh, behind the surveillance cameras on a different floor of the building? Well, usually those type of spells that affect people often do not affect electronic. I think it is in D20 Modern, they have invisibility and invisibility to machines, or if it's not D20 Modern, it's Urban Arcana. But usually the convention in role-playing is that invisibility does not affect mechanical, electronic type surveillance it's organic systems only i.e the brain so you would have to probably get some type of other spell to affect so the gm and the players need to know what the special effects are that they're dealing with before they try it or maybe find out the hard way and have some fun that way 
normally called psychic invisibility, where if you have a mind, you can become invisible to people with you know who, who can perceive. So sometimes it's, it's limited to intelligent creatures. So dogs see you just fine, but people don't. Or there's a full range. If you're if you got a brain and you can think, you you can be invisible to them. But you have to know that they can see you for them to be invisible. So guys watching the camera, you don't know where they are, who they are. So you can't be invisible to those folks. So they can see you just fine. Oh, yeah. Usually this type of psychic invisibility affects the brain of the person perceiving you as opposed to the normal invisibility spell that you would have in D&D or D20 Modern, which is actually warping light around you. That is not a delusion. You are actually using physics to make yourself invisible to visual sensors. That's not no, so no, no, much... That's... In Hero System, that would be being specific about your uh, special effect. You'd buy the power invisibility, and then you'd say, either this is psychic invisibility, so it doesn't work on machines, or this is light-twisting invisibility, it works on everybody, but you lose it if you step outside the field. Actually, Trav, if, if, it's, if it's magic, then it's magic and you are invisible. Well, the invisibility spell, right? Yeah, you're bending, you're magically bending light around you. No, 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 no. You're you're invisible. You're transparent as air. It's just going through you, John. That depends on the description of the magical effect. It can be where you are literally transparent, like with the same transparency index as air, and therefore you are invisible. The little tiny magic gnomes are grabbing each photon and pushing it directly through you with a little "Don't get out of jail free" card. Wow. Or it can be of psychic invisibility, or it can be a curse of some kind. We have a number of movies out there where there are things like videotapes and other things where if you watch the videotape, man, you get messed up. As a matter of fact, one of the best examples of that is Videodrone. Oh, yeah. The more this guy watches this broadcast, the crazier he gets. And so he's seeing full-blown delusions at the end of it. And as far as he's concerned, it's the new reality, and it's perfectly fine. Talking about all this invisibility and, and how they, they work differently, I really liked White Wolf's obfuscation because what, what that was, that was one of the vampiric powers. And it was basically you affect the person's mind so they just will not look at you. They'll look next to you or beyond you. They'll literally just will not look at you. And that's all it is. You're not, you're not invisible. You're completely visible. But whatever target you pick or whatever targets you can affect, because I think you could affect multiple targets, but basically anyone you were affecting, they just it's not that they couldn't see you, they just wouldn't look at you. I would tend to call that a variation on psionic invisibility. It, it was it was magic, but it was, you know, it, it's it's kinda like what you're saying. The source of the insanity is as important as its effect. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be just a full blown invisibility. It could be every other word is going to be blocked from you. So when people are talking to you, you only hear every other word that they say. Or you can only read every other word on a page. God, that would be... Uh. uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And all of a sudden, the world around you becomes immensely ununderstandable. You're going to play a character who can't see something or doesn't perceive something properly? Peter, I have an idea because this actually comes from the old Avengers TV series, where they had six situations just like this, where Reed was uh, hypnotized not to see people, certain people. He couldn't see them anymore because he was hypnotized not to. Right. And they, they pretty much figured it out because you could still hear them. You just couldn't see them. Let's do a Savage Worlds thing here. Yeah. So I'm playing a Savage Worlds character, and I've just listened to Tritech's most awesome podcast about insane people. And I suggest to the game master, I say, look, I want a major flaw. And I want my major flaw to be that I can't see anyone wearing red. Oh, that'd be good. You know what I mean? Could that, that would be something like a major flaw. Absolutely. So you could hear them. You could hear them. You could smell them, taste them, feel them, whatever. You just couldn't see them. Yep. I don't want to make it too easy either, but if you had somebody, for example, who could only hear every other word, then you would say, hey, hey, Bill, Bill, how, how are, are you, you doing? <laughs> I mean, you can work around it, but it all of a sudden <laughs> makes everybody around you act like they're crazy people and you're the normal person. It also means that all the red shirts in the enterprise are safe from you. <laughs> God. Red, red might be a bad color. But that's something you could throw in and let the players figure out. So here's, okay, we've been able to figure out how to deal with this insanity. 
And if you have a computer program, maybe you can get it to duplicate every word that it's putting on. And of course, if you have it lengthy enough, you might be able to piece together the content from all the other words. Sure. And and your character would probably grow accustomed to that. I mean, it would basically be like anytime somebody said something that was important, the game master might say, all right, you need to make a perception roll to see if you can figure out what the hell he's saying. You really want it to be the second word that you can't hear because if the first word is duck, <laughs> okay, right. you don't want to miss that word. <laughs> oh, God, no. Or, I mean, you can make it something like, you know, you, you can't, you, for whatever reason, your brain turns off any word that begins with a Q. You know, so that it only affects you once in a while. We're blocking, so you can't hear the first syllable of any word. So if a word only has one syllable, you can't hear that word. So there's all kinds of ways you can do that. If you made cars invisible, then it'd be really difficult to cross the street. That would not make for a good character, Bruce. Right. Well, okay. Maybe make birds invisible. If you made children invisible, then you might not make sure that they weren't in a line of fire in the middle of a firefight against the big bad. Oh. That's actually a good one because in most role-playing games, children do not make much of an appearance. So it is a flaw, but it's not something that's going to cripple your character. It might cripple them emotionally later on when they blow through a child in order to hit the bad guy, not realizing that it was there. If you don't want to turn this into some kind of like super debilitating thing, you just make sure that at some point the other players, before it becomes a big issue, that the other players in your group realize this about the guy and that when the situation comes about, you know, that's when one another character goes, uh-oh, there's a woman with a baby in the firefight. And they already know. They start chugging towards this guy. No, no, no. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. Don't shoot. And if they don't, of course, then the group has to suffer for it. But there was an option. There was an opportunity to sidestep that. A lot of these things only happen when you're in stressful situations sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if you've gotten to adult age, you've learned to work around it to a point. But but stressful situations will usually cause it to to pop off and go. Right. But in a role-playing situation, John, a lot of times you don't want that person to have acclimized themselves to it. Maybe get the other people to work with them around it, but it has to be something where they, the other players have to think of what to do correctly in the situation when they're busy trying to do their own deals. A lot of this is kind of about applying an interesting filter or an interesting challenge to the players. Yes. You have to go through being a, uh, a fringe-worthy team while being followed by invisible six-foot rabbits named Harvey, and you have to not let anybody know this is what's going on or you will be benched before you can resolve it. We should never introduce this kind of stuff to ruin a game. I mean, that's not the idea. We are bringing the awesome, okay? This is to enhance your game. And... You're thinking, well, how can this flaw enhance my game? Well, it makes it more interesting. So the idea is to bring these these elements in, but still make the game more interesting and more fun. So don't bring something in. Don't let anyone play a character who's going to destroy the adventure for everybody. The idea is to bring something in that's interesting and maybe kind of funny, maybe a little difficult to deal with because dif- difficulty breeds an inter- interest. So let's take this guy who can't see children. Don't make this a hidden thing. You know, the, either the other group needs to know about it or the player needs to know it. Somebody needs to know about it. Or it needs to come out in adventure before it becomes this crippling thing. Because if the guy shoots a baby, if it doesn't mess his character up, you're playing a really dark and twisted group. So, I mean, it, it should that should affect everybody. So you want to avoid that. You want to bring the situation up so that everyone has an opportunity to play on that when the situation comes about. Yeah, make it a near miss. There's a whole world of difference between crazy characters and crazy players. Right, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. In one reading I I did where they said, you're being blocked from seeing people, and in this case, it was seeing any person. Like, the, the, the entire city was empty as far as you were concerned. But you were doing things that were getting people mad at you. So every once in a while, when somebody would go and take a swing at you, to you, all the lights would go out, and you just get beat like crazy all around you because someone was hitting you and hurting you, but you can't see them now, so it explains why you didn't see them when they're hitting you. Would they see the cars moving and, and the other machines going on, or, you know, all the cars are driving themselves, what's going on? Or is it like, wow, the whole city's still, and then they walk out in the street and wonder why they're down on the ground with broken bones? 
Right. Yeah. All of a sudden you walk across the street and all of a sudden the lights go out. There's this huge impact against you. Lights come back on. You're laying there on the street, injured, whatever, and there's nothing around you. But wait, wait. You got to remember, when did this guy get this disability? Because if he's had this disability for for any period of time, he has learned to cope with it or it should be built into the character some way. Right. That, like, so for example, he can't see cars. Let, let's say you take the character who can't see cars. However, he's able to avoid cars when he crosses the street. And when someone asks him, how did you avoid those cars? He would say, what cars? But the reason being is, is that, like we were saying about, like John and I were talking about with the blind person who can navigate a room, even though they can't see any, they can't, uh, you're not seeing my air quotes here, can't see the room. They actually do see their cars and the brain processes it. It just doesn't tell them that they've processed it. So they actually can see them. But they don't realize they've seen them. That's that whole other angle. Their subbrain is processing it, just as not telling the conscious brain. So they know when to cross the street and how to avoid the cars. But when you ask them how they did it, they go, what cars? If you wanted to create some kind of a mechanism for coping with it, you could make them really get hit with unexplainable bouts of fear. If I cross now, something bad's going to happen. I just know it. Right. Okay. Good. But you don't know why. Right. But you wait and the feeling passes and then you get to go, get to go across, okay? Right. Or somehow you know that if, if this little child over here takes your hand, he's wearing like a little brown uniform and a little hat and a little scarf around his neck with a slide, you know, Boy Scout. And, you know, he'll walk you across the street and you just know somehow by holding this child's hand that you'll be okay. And so you do. Right. Uh, that's a good. I mean, there's things you can do to get around it, you know. At the same time, still holding on to that delusional thing and not making it something where you're just like, "Well, I figured this out." You know, yeah. If you can't see people because they're wearing a certain colored shirt, wear sunglasses, especially colored sunglasses. They'll change the color of the shirt once you realize that's what it is. If you don't know that you can't see a color, <laughs> then how do you know to to do that? I mean, a lot of these things is not to be an ongoing problem, but something that's going to be conferred to you during the adventure. One time I was uh, in a game where one of the other characters got sidetracked into a sub-game, and I wasn't doing anything. And then the character did something that the GM and the player agreed would render her crazy. And so I said, cool, I'm the voice in her head. Kill them. Kill them all now. And I played the rest of the session being the voice in her head. And that was actually kind of fun when we all realized, no, that's just Jay making up whatever he can think of, and she doesn't have to do any of it. Okay, apparently my Skype isn't scrolling down. Uh, Amber brought up a good point. Would Fight Club be a display of insanity? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yes. Both personalities, one of which progressively became more and more hostile, victimizing the other personality. I'm going to clarify this because this this is something that's come up and I've actually done a bit of research on this because I was very interested in it. A lot of people think schizophrenia is multiple personality and that is not true. Multiple personality is something that most psychologists and mental health workers and stuff, they're not really sure that it even really exists. There doesn't seem to be any actual cases where this has come true. The, the whole Sybil thing... Sybil was a big fake. If you look into it, that was a whole scam. And even the, the woman who claimed to be Sybil, claimed all that, all this personality stuff, she was in on it because there was a whole business that was formed out of that. I won't go into it, but you, you can look it up. It, it, it's completely fake. Wasn't that covered on Skeptoid about two episodes ago? Yes, it was. And that's actually where I'm getting with that. Aha. And that's kind of what caused me to look more and more into it. The whole multiple personality thing is kind of fake. However, in a role-playing game, of course, there are a lot of things that we do that are fake. So the multiple personality thing can exist, and it can be a lot of fun. You could do that as a very playable thing. The whole Fight Club thing, I mean, that's one of my favorite movies. I like the whole multiple personality thing, the way they did that. I don't know how you would do that in a role-playing game. Watch me, myself, and Irene. Have two character sheets? Yeah. I like Paul's idea. Or have multiple players. I, I had one character who did a multiple personality where one of where one of the characters was a cop in a kind of a cop show setup, and the other one was Sherlock Holmes. 
and he said he wanted to leave it carefully vague whether or not he was possessed by the spirit of Sherlock Holmes, whether he was having multiple personality disorders, or whether there was something else going on. But yeah, he, he basically had two different character sheets with the same physical stats, but one was just this guy and the other one was Sherlock Holmes. Well, I tried this once, and it really didn't work. All the players said no. I said, everybody, pass your character sheet to the right. You're playing the other guy's character today. And they said no. Not, not going to happen. But I think if you could set it up with a couple of players beforehand, that each one was playing a different personality in the same guy's head, that could be interesting, too. That's where my revelation I, – I thought it would be kind of neat. If you could get two players to buy into this, this would be fun. You get two players to buy into this and they actually make their characters up together so that each one has input on the other's character, but but it's still their character. And at any point during the game, the game master can say, all right, you two switch your characters. <laughs> Wonder twin powers, activate. <laughs> and you could you could have them like psychologically like like um psychically attached. So that it, it's, it's not just a disorder with this person, it's a psychic disorder that they share. You know, I mean, they could even be brothers or something like that. Or, or like twins, that would be fun too. But like for some reason, or, or maybe during the adventure, they both go after this. All right, it's a Bureau 13 adventure. They are supposed to recover some magical gem. The boss, the, 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 the head guy at Bureau 13 says, don't touch the gem. They get to the room, the two of them reach out and grab it at the same time. It links the two of them together so that their personalities swap from time to time, from body to body. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, P- uh, Pip brought up something about, um, or maybe there could be something that triggers a shift in the personalities as far as that. I mean, usually multiple personality disorders, usually due to severe trauma in the person's past and the mind just fragments in order to deal with it. That main personality just could not deal with that particular event. Unless you're in 60s sitcom world, then it's triggered by dropping a heavy thing on their head. Right. (laughs) Or they're just, they're a sweet, nice person until you make them angry. You wouldn't like them when they're angry. They actually discuss that in one of the Hulk comics. That everybody else who turned big and green didn't change their personalities. It's only you, Bruce. You had that before you got big and green. It was an interesting story arc. Again, you know, we're back into the is, is multiple personality disorder a fictional disorder or a real disorder? And the answer is it's a story. Roll with it. Um, yeah. In a role-playing game, sure. It seems the best way of doing it is to say when you're this personality fragment then you have these skills or you have this this version of your skills and then when you're this one then you have that version of your skills so what you end up is trying to make sure that you have the right personality dominant when the situation arises when you need that particular orientation of skills it becomes hard for the other characters to try to work with the character to make sure that the, the personality that's really good at pl- making uh, bread and having you know little tea parties isn't the dominant personality when you need the nuclear bomb diffused. Right, yeah, I was just going to bring that up. It's like, yeah, you've got your gun, your, your combat monster who all of a sudden switches into the least needed personality at the wrong time. Yeah, that could be bad. It could be great role-playing. That would be fun to watch somebody, you know, suddenly go, Eek, I'm a little girl. They're shooting at me. Why are the bad men shooting at me right in the middle of a fight? Because but, you're the you know, one in the body armor and the carrying the M60. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Uh, I'll be, I'm going to be the devil's advocate because you know we are talking. It's just one brain, so they don't actually don't have different skills. Is simply they use the skills differently. I mean, yeah, it comes right down to the bomb explode. The bomb expert is can access a skill, but you know, if you look at the sheet, they only have X number of skills, but only certain. Personalities that access certain skills. Well, I've also heard that multiple personality disorder often will bring up skills that, for some reason, the person never learned and they just know how to do this. I mean, I've heard that once in a while. Or they fake it. There's also accounts of head injuries that allow people to speak languages they can't speak. Right, same thing. So 
this is another area where there's uh, no right answer. It depends on what kind of flavor the GM's going for and what the players really like. So you're, you're taking a very specific case here, you know, and, and you, you can have multiples of these things we're talking about involved. So, for example, in answer to you, John, let's say that, you know, you've got 20 skills, but only mm -hmm. 12 of them are available to any one personality. Or maybe only one personality has one of the skills available to them, and none of the other ones has that one skill. And you're using basically a form of altered memory where the rest of them don't even know that they know how to do it. Yep. That's the only one that knows that they can do it. So, you know, the bomb expert guy knows how to do all that stuff because the other ones, you know, part of their mo their conceptual of their personality fragment is, I don't know how to do icky gun stuff. But one of them does know how to do, do icky gun stuff because in that person's life, there was a point where if you didn't know how to do icky gun stuff, you were dead. And that personality had to come into existence to keep the other personalities alive. And so that's how it works. You know, your multiple personalities are just versions of you at different points in your life. So in one situation, you're five years old, you're 10 years old, you're 16 years old, you're 30 years old, you're 50. I think that's more just a unique version of regression because there's the cases of you have a kid. Down the road a couple years, you have another kid. In order for the kid to get attention, the elder kid, they start acting like they're younger again. That's more just regression more than anything, I would think. That sounds like that could be a fun one-time scenario. Problem portal, but you go through, okay, your character is regressed back to the age of five. Be your character when they were five. And then, you know, an hour later, okay, now they're ten. You know, and just age them back up to where they are. Yeah. Again, that's altered memory. Yeah, what I suggested first. Okay. So, anyways, you guys are kind of walking around this. When you start talking about things like uh, multiple personalities, seeing Harvey, that was our number five, which is manifestation. Something is added to your perceptions that nobody else can see. A person, an object, there's a change of appearance. You may see another person doing something that they're really not doing, but you see it. You know, this is the kind of thing that was in A Beautiful Mind, where there were like three or four characters in his life that were telling him stuff and doing stuff with him when in fact is they weren't there at all and nobody else could see them or were reacting with them. Those of you who were around the time when this show was on the air, Exodor. Ah, uh, yes, Mork and Mindy. <laughs> Mork and Mindy. All of us in that small room? Nanu. <laughs> For those of you unfamiliar, Exodor considered himself like a, a semi-prophet, but he also had hundreds of followers. They were only visible to him. He would act as though they always followed him around. He actually considered he had hundreds of people surrounding him all the time. He would always look at it as if he stand aside. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned this before, before pre-show, we're talking about agency. And what agency is, is where it can be internal or external. So agency is where you see a controlling hand of some kind where there is none. When it's internal. Like conspiracy theorists, except at Bureau 13, they're all right. Right. Well, that's ex that's external. Internal agency is when you think that you control things that you don't. So, like, for example, like, you know, the book The Secret, you know, let, you're, you're a little nutty and you're a big baseball fan and you think, and I worked with a guy like this, you think that on Friday when they play or whenever day they play, if you don't wear your jersey, your team won't win. So, I mean, you could get really crazy. My jersey's dirty, but I got to wear it anyway because cause if I don't wear it, my team won't win. It's not that you're just kind of superstitious. You really, really, really believe it. It doesn't work out the way you think it does. So let's say, for example, you wear your jersey on Friday and your team doesn't win. You will go through all kinds of gyrations to, to solve your, your, your cognitive dissonance to state that you, you will come up with some reason why they didn't win anyway. I went to the bathroom, and when I was in the bathroom, such and such missed a pass. And, and it's my fault. I, I caused them to lose, and you'll actually feel bad. The, the external agency, like you were saying, Jay, that's like conspiracy theory. That's where you, know, you believe that there are these invisible forces out there. You know, this Alex Jones, I think, is suffering from this. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do. There's a few other people out there who are on the far side of Alex Jones, and woo boy, wow, it, that'll clear out your sinuses. I think Alex Jones is one of them that has a has a, a media audience. 
Well, there, there's some debate about whether or not he's actually pandering to an audience or whether or not he actually thinks like that. <laughs> That's possible, too. He could be doing it for profit. Some folks who discuss it wonder if you could stay functional and think like that for any period of time. Right, right. What that boils down to for anyone who doesn't know who Alex Jones is or whatever, the whole belief that the Illuminati is controlling the world and that stuff that is just really out there – that there just doesn't seem to be any evidence for, and it's not that you think it might be true. It's you really, you really believe it. You know, you know it's true in your heart of hearts, because you see the patterns. You know, you, you people who who watch TVs and and watch for the white noise, and like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear what the TV was saying to me? David Ike and the lizard people. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's agency. Again, going back to Bureau 13, in Bureau 13, it's very hard to distinguish because a lot of that stuff is true. A lot of stuff really is going on. <laughs> you really do have men in black. You really do have lizard people. Oh, my God. The lizard people Bilderberg uh, conspiracy in Bureau 13. You could run that for years. <laughs> That's kind of moral, again, along the idea of the altered memory where you have this fact-based delusion you're interpreting what you see to match up with your delusion. When we talk about manifestation, we're talking about where you're really seeing things differently than what they really are. You know, it could be as small as a white rabbit who, who follows you along, or it could be totally full-blown, like as Amber was talking about, Alice in Wonderland, where you think you're in Wonderland. You're walking down the street. And the, the, the homeless guy over on the side is actually the Mad Hatter. And they may act the same way because they may both have schizophrenia. Or the, and the, the cat may be in pieces and still moving along because you're seeing it this way. And GMs and players like this one a lot. This is almost the guaranteed go-to because you're basically creating a delusion out of whole cloth. It's not a little small thing. This is full-blown altered reality for you. And if you have multiple people with differing realities like this, it could be a total crazy thing. You know, it could, it could totally dis- demolish the adventure or it can make it the best adventure you've ever had. Actually, in, in a recent game I was playing in, one of the characters got some, some well, some magic mushrooms. And he was seeing things for a while until he finally cleared out of his system. But yeah, you can have a temporary version of that. You can hallucinate things and strange stuff. I got to do that in a Star Wars game thanks to some rabid monkey raccoons once. Here's some movie references. Naked Lunch, where someone starts off pretty much perceiving the world around them in a, in a normal way. But by the end of the movie, they're seeing really weird stuff and making decisions based on that, which make no sense outside of their own internal reality set. What's that one with uh, Christian Bale where he runs around killing lots of people? American Psycho? Batman Arises? <laughs> uh, American Psycho. Oh, American Psycho, okay. By the end of that film, there's stuff exploding but not exploding, and you don't know what he's really seeing or not. Spoilers! Right. In Fight Club, he sees another person, even though they're not there. In, well, they're actually himself. At the time that he's going through these things, he's still perceiving them a certain way. And, of course, you know, there's lots of dream world type things. You guys brought up, it was you, John, Sucker Punch. Yep. Yep. Okay. Now, the full-blown dream world isn't the one I'm talking about. See, as they described it, it's a reality, a para-reality in a dream world. The reality was she was in an insane asylum. The para-reality was an insane asylum that was fronting a house of prostitution. That was a very strange movie. Right. I started losing IQ points just watching it until I got the caveat, until I got, oh, okay. But still, I was going, wait, what? Wait. Although true, if you could arrange a kind of a group full, uh, what would you call that, a full immersion hallucination. Yeah. That would be an interesting uh, scenario for a game, especially if completely weird things started happening that could not happen in that game world. And, you know, with Bureau 13 especially, this is a really good uh, system to do this with, you can actually have the enemy causing these delusions to all your players, and they wouldn't even know it. You know, the, the game master could 
could be making all this like, crazy stuff up and just keep accelerating how crazy it is as your brain starts to buy into this guy's delusions. At some point, the way you break out of that is, is the game master just starts making it completely nutty to where it's like he's challenging the players to eventually go, come on, man, this can't be right. I wanted to point out that I designed an, an entire multiple game world based on this. The uh, PCs were being held by psionic captors, and their game world was kind of like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer, hidden supernatural type of, of... But eventually they were going to find out that it was connected to other worlds, which were different settings. This was before I actually read Fringeworthy, by the way. <laughs> but these were all different psionic corrals that their deeper enemy was holding lots of people in for cattle. And the intended long-term framework of it was that they would eventually kick at the walls enough to start seeing what it really was and then come into conflict with the people who were holding all the captives. One of our GMs decided he's going to, we're going to try out 316. Uh, it's a fairly you know simple game system. As we went along, we decided that we were all terrorists who basically had been under a lot of psychoactive drugs who were now convinced we were starship troopers fighting aliens. It went from there. I mean, you know, and it made the encounters we came into per- make perfect sense. That they were actually our imaginations of us in the the wards and so forth of this hospital, <laughs> you know, fighting aliens. Now, this also sounds an awful lot like our uh, virtual reality episode, which we have to make. We have to acknowledge that. Why? Well, if you do it shared delusions, you're falling into the shared into the virtual reality. Is it a virtual reality, or is it, or, or are you in fact having a shared delusion? You can have a virtual reality that you know is a virtual reality, or you can have a virtual reality that you think is reality. You can have a shared delusion that isn't all encompassing a reality, or you can have a shared delusion that you know isn't real, but it's a shared delusion anyway, and that's called fanfic. Yeah, well, I came up one for Fringeworthy that's a shared delusion, and it's not an all-encompassing reality. Call it the baby. Now, at some point, you know, the team has been traveling the Fringe Pass, and some action has created horrible, horrible consequences, and the team feels horribly, horribly guilty. And in it, they've managed to save an infant. They've carried back a child. And everybody takes turns carrying the child. Everybody takes turns feeding the child and caring for an infant. But no one else ever hears the child cry because it's a bundle of rags. That sounds kind of depressing. Hmm. But each time that one of the player characters is confronted and somebody reveals it's not an infant, another PC gets like handed the staff and they've got to take over caring for the infant. You've passed the baton, sort of. It could be one of those psychological adventures where something happened on the world they came from. Yeah, if that's the effect they're left with. Yeah, and then they have to go back and piece together what happened be- beforehand. You know, I can see that as kind of a reaction to massive guilt, but like I say, it doesn't sound like any fun unless there's a resolution to it somehow. Yeah, there has to be a resolution of something. Oh, I had a Bureau 13 version of that. Hearing an infant cry manifests our caring and nurturing, nurturing side, unless it's 3 a.m., dark in the house, and you don't have a baby. Creepy! Turn every light in the neighborhood on, you know, don't let anybody go back to sleep. I lived in an apartment complex, and when I first moved here, I had to stop myself from going to the window every time, or to the door every time I heard a child scream, because I realized it was playing, but they had that, I'm being eaten by wolf scream, and I had, you know, and, and your normal reflex, most at least most normal adults re- re- reaction to that is go help the child. No, wait, John, <laughs> not unless you have kids, because I can tell you. There are times when my kid screams like I'm killing her, I'm, and I'm not even touching her. She's just being a kid. They they do that. And I always wonder that. I'm always like, oh, my God, how would somebody know if you really were killing a kid or not? Because my kid sounds like I'm killing her. I'm not doing anything. She's just being a butthead. There's an undertone to it. I'm really mad because I'm not getting my way. When you've been around kids enough, you kind you can kind of start to read the screams. There's, I'm mad because I'm not getting my way and I'm getting murdered. And then there's, I'm actually hurt. (laughs) It's a much higher pitched, much more unhappy sound when they've actually fallen down and cracked their head on the sidewalk or something. If you have kids, you move. 
But when they're throwing a temper tantrum and because they're not getting their way, eventually you learn how to hear that and you learn how to go, okay, you know, little Molly down the street is getting told no again. Eventually she'll figure it out. Yeah, it's, it's the wannabe parents that get, get, get sucked in by the first one. It calls C- CPS when the child throws something and yells, I hate you. Yeah. Right. I can attest to that because when I was a kid, I was out swimming and I came up under our dock and bashed my head into it so, such that I actually have a permanent inverted V-shaped scar on my forehead. And I ran up to the house and I just cried out, Mom! She was out the door before I even got all the way up the hill because she said when she heard that, she knew something was wrong. When the tipper's just right, yeah, mom and every parent's going to be in the area. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. And this is Paul. When you remove the pin, Mr. Grenade is no longer your friend. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.